We're going to continue our study through the book of First Peter together. We're going to be in First Peter chapter four. It's an appropriate song that we just sang, considering what we're going to be talking about this morning and considering what the little letter First Peter is all about. You know, Jesus said, blessed are you when people make fun of you, when people insult you, when people persecute you because you follow me and my teachings, Jesus said. He said, not if, but when. So what do you do? What do you do when you are hit by the bullets of hurt and pain and being disliked because you follow Jesus and his teachings or you stand for Jesus and his teachings? I mean, what do you do when you believe Jesus' teaching on marriage, that marriage is, to between, is between a man and a woman and you begin to share that in the classroom with your teacher or your professor or maybe not even in the classroom at work. And people look at you like, what in the, how, how can you believe something like, I could be so intolerant and so unloving. What do you do when you get blasted on social media for something that you just are stating a biblical truth? What do you do when you're talking to somebody about following Jesus or the afterlife and you tell them that you believe, yeah, there actually is a literal hell and people are going to go there if they don't follow Jesus and there really is only one way and they just, they look at you like, really? How could you be so narrow-minded and believe such something archaic like that? Some of you have experienced suffering because you follow Jesus and his teachings. In a conversation I had with Hansen a month or so ago, we talked about one of their pastors who was just going to visit their church building during COVID, just not even having a service, but just going there to pray at the building. And like officials, government officials showed up and beat him, beat his legs simply for showing up at this building to pray, not even to have a service. Are you really ready to be tried by fire if that's what the fire looks like? Because Jesus said, not if, but when. And so, how do you keep faithful to Jesus? How do you stay faithful to Jesus when you're suffering because of him? That's the message and the purpose of this little book of 1 Peter to encourage you and to equip me to continue to move forward and stay faithful to Jesus when we're suffering because of him. And I understand that most of us here this morning, we've not experienced, you've not experienced suffering, or you're not experiencing suffering right now because you follow Jesus and his teachings. But that doesn't mean we never will. That doesn't mean you won't just because you're not experiencing that now. 
And so now is the time to take Peter's message, to take God's words through Peter and to begin to put them into practice. I want you to see today's message and actually our study, entire study for Peter, like a life jacket. We were down at Andrea's dad's um, for a couple days for vacation, and he lives right on the New River in Virginia, and he's got a pontoon boat. And before we all got on the pontoon boat, what's he do? He checks to make sure there's enough life jackets on the pontoon boat. Why? Just to make sure, right? And if you have little kids and they don't know how to swim, what do you do? You're going to put the life jacket on them. Why? Just in case. Right? So in the moment, potentially, that they were to fall in and be in water over their head, they can stay afloat. I want you to see Peter's message today kind of like you're putting on a life jacket. So when you do enter the water of suffering, you have what you need to stay afloat. And so see today's message. See what Peter's telling us, what God is saying to us through Peter like a life jacket. Something you want to put on now and put into practice now. So when the moments of suffering come, you have what you need. And so we're going to step into chapter 4. And Peter's going to continue his flow of thought from chapters 2 and 3. Continuing to give us practical things that we can do to keep faithful to Jesus. To keep moving forward for Jesus when we're suffering because of him. So I want to read verses 1 through 11 because that's where we're going to camp out today. And then we'll come back and we'll just kind of unpack what Peter's saying. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Well, let's do this. We're a smaller group this morning. Can someone just stand and just read that out loud for us? Verses 1 through 11 of 1 Peter 4. Just right where you are. Stand up and read it out loud for us. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he has no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in regard to these they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as I said, Peter here in chapter 4 is going to continue to give us some things to do in order to keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him. And so 
one of the th- first things you want to put on or begin to practice, Peter tells us in verses 1 and 2. And he says, since therefore, now we've talked about when you see a therefore, what do you do? You found that, find out what it's there for. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, find out what it's there for. So what is this therefore there for? All right? That's what we need to find out. That's what, so since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Well, you have to go back to the end of chapter 3, and he talks about it. Verses 17 and 18, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered for doing God's will, he says, you need to now arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. So Peter's pointing us back to the example of Jesus, that Jesus, in his obedience to the Father and living on the mission that Father had for him, he in- encountered suffering. And, so, and Jesus knew that. He expected that. And so Peter's saying, you need to arm yourselves. That's like wartime language. Like, you need to put on the armor of thinking like Jesus, where you're expecting suffering, you're not surprised by it. Where you're, you're anticipating it almost, you're expecting it, you're not surprised by it. Because he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Jesus understood that I am here to accomplish the will of the Father. I'm going to do what I need to do to be obedient to the Father, to, to live in the will of the Father. And, and Jesus mentions that multiple times in the Gospels. And part of what he experienced in being obedient and living a life pleasing to the Father was suffering. It's part of God's plan for him, was experience suffering for the good. And it was through Christ's suffering that Peter says at the end of chapter 3 that the unrighteous can be made righteous. And so we need to think like Jesus thought. Well, how did Jesus think? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. We won't go there, but Paul writes, you need to have the same thinking, the same mind of Christ. Christ did not consider equality with God something to grab a hold of. But He became a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus understood that if I'm going to fulfill the Father's mission and this plan of redemption, it's going to involve suffering. So I think Peter's trying to remind them, hey, if, if Jesus suffered in living a life of pleasing God, we should expect to as well. We shouldn't be surprised by it. I think that's Peter's point. If Jesus suffered for following God, we should expect to as well. Now, our family, we've been into soccer for quite some time. Anybody here seen, like, professional soccer on TV? You ever watch a professional soccer match on TV? Like, the World Cup or whatever. What, there's going to be something you're going to see in a soccer game, soccer match, is suffering. You're going to see suffering. Some of it's legit. Some of it's not. 
right? You see a guy go to the ground, writhing in pain. They play the replay, wasn't even touched. The medical people come out, have this magic spray, spray his leg with this magic spray, and all of a sudden he gets up and he's fine and running around again. I don't understand it. I don't know why they don't hand out the magic spray that they use in soccer matches, just go door to door and hand that stuff out, right? It's magic spray, just do it. There's a lot of suffering, but a lot of fake suffering that happens in soccer. We're not talking about fake suffering here. We're talking about real, legitimate hardship, hurt, pain, because you follow Jesus and his teachings. And Peter says something that I think is interesting. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for who has, have, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, that's an interesting statement. What is Peter meaning by that? That he ceased, the person thinking who's suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that somehow when you suffer, you will never sin again. Some of us know that from personal experience. You've suffered for the cause of Christ, and two weeks later, you're committing sins. Right, so we know that's not what Peter's talking about here, that somehow suffering is the antidote to never sinning again. That's not what he's talking about here. I think what Peter's trying to say here, what he's not trying to, but what he is saying here is this, that when, when you experience suffering because you follow Jesus, you are showing that living a life pleasing Jesus is dominating your life, not living a life pleasing sin. It's not that you've all of a sudden now stopped sinning and never will sin again, but in that moment of suffering, you're showing sin has stopped having the victory in that moment of my life. What you're showing is that it's better to follow Jesus than to follow sin. In that moment when you choose to suffer for the cause of Christ, you are showing that Jesus wins, sin is lost. And I think that's what Peter's trying to communicate here. So what would it look like, church, if, if you and I and your house church or our house church began to really think, arm ourselves with this thinking of Jesus where we're actually expecting suffering not, and, and not being surprised by it? Would it make you more bold if you thought that way? Would you care less about what people think when you're talking to them about Jesus? Would it make you more loving because you wouldn't be so concerned about the consequences? Peter continues in verses 3 and 4, and he says, not only should you arm yourselves with the same thinking of Jesus, not only should you expect suffering and not be surprised by it, but you need to expect to seem strange. I love the translation that Julia read from because it's literally what, what it means. Some translations say, you know, that they're, they're surprised in verse 4 with respect to this. They are surprised or they think it's strange when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Peter's saying, listen, not only should you expect suffering and not be, but you should just expect to seem strange. This shouldn't surprise us because now you're different. In chapter 2, Peter told us that, listen, you weren't, were, were once not a people of God, and now you are. You're different now. The gospel makes you strange. It just does. Jesus makes you strange. His followers are strange to the world, to those who are not following him. I mean, you're going to seem different. And some of you have experienced this, like with your friends that you hung out with before you became a Christian. They're like going, what? What happened to you? Like, you're different. 
You're totally different now. What changed? Well, Jesus changed me. You're strange now to those people that you were hanging out with. You're not going to the party to get drunk or smoke weed or satisfy some kind of pleasure anymore. No, you, you don't even go anymore. You're like, that's not important to me anymore. And people are like, all you do now is hang out with church people. What happened? You're strange. Last week, last Sunday morning, in our Sunday morning house church, we had a baptism, and we baptized Benson Jones, who came to know Christ this past year, and, and uh, we took him out back, and after he shared his Jesus story, and, um, and our neighbors live really close to, like, our, their house is probably like 10 feet, just 10, 15 feet from our backyard, and we've had a baptism before in our backyard. We baptized Natasha there a couple months ago, which is awesome, and, and so... Um, so we baptized Benson, right? And we've had baptisms in our side yard as well and, and, and different things. And so we baptized Benson. Andrea later that afternoon goes to Kroger to pick up a click list, right? And out bringing her Kroger click list is our neighbor's daughter. And she says to Andrea, wow, you guys were having some kind of party. Oh, it must have been some party that you all were having this morning. And Andrea's like, no, it really wasn't a party. We're having a baptism. You know, and, and she said that her dad kind of thought that might have been what it was, right? But think of her, like in her mind, right? Someone that, that really has not grown up in church at all, or maybe it's only third of baptism, like as a baby, whatever it might be, you know, how strange that must be to her to think a baptism in your backyard in a hot tub. What? How religious is that? That can't be religious. You know what? I mean, just it's strange to people. And Peter says, listen, they're, they're going to think you're strange. You're just going to seem strange to people because you are. You're strange with the spirit of God in you. And so I wonder, you know, and, and Peter says this, he goes on and he says in verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge. And I love that he includes this because sometimes you wonder, is, is, is it worth it to take all this persecution and being made fun of or being disliked or whatever it might be? be or feel. And he's like, listen, there's coming a day. People are judging you, but there's coming a day when they too will be judged. And this is why we need to get the gospel out, he says in verse 6, to, so that people can be set free from the coming judgment that they're going to have. And so I wonder, church, do you seem strange to people that don't know Jesus? Do you seem strange to them? And we're not seeming strange just to seem strange for the sake of being strange. We're strange because we follow Jesus and his teachings. The reason you're strange is not because you're just weird. <laughs> it's because of Jesus and because you follow him and believe his teachings. It's strange that you believe those things. Well, why do you believe? Well, because I follow Jesus and that's what he says. If you're not, if you don't seem strange, then why not? Have we become so similar and how we live our lives to those who don't follow Jesus that we don't seem strange anymore. The gospel makes you strange, and Peter's reminding us, listen, you need to think like Jesus. You need to expect suffering. Don't be surprised by it. You need to realize that you're going to seem strange to people. And then he keeps going. Verses 7, verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. And he's saying, like, Jesus is going to come back. And therefore, because Jesus is going to come back, we should have this outlook on the future, right? And that should cause us to be self-controlled and serious about prayer. 
Well, how do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? You take prayer seriously. Can you think of a time when Peter didn't take prayer seriously? Let's talk a little bit. Somebody think of a time when Peter didn't take prayer seriously. Can you think of an example? You can say it out loud. It's okay here. The Garden of Gethsemane. Winner, winner, right there, okay? Garden of, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the garden. Jesus is hours away from the most intense suffering ever. And he calls these guys. Peter's one of them. He says, hey, guys, I want you to come with me to this garden, and we're going to pray. And so he tells Peter and James, I want you to watch and pray so that you won't give in to the temptation, right, that you'll still stay faithful. So Jesus goes off and he prays. Jesus comes back to check on his guys. And what's he find Peter doing? Taking a nap. Anybody fell asleep while they were praying? Boom. Guilty. You're not alone. Peter understands. Not saying that's the best thing, but we're not alone. He finds Peter napping. Not just once, but multiple times. So I wonder when Peter says this, if he's recalling that moment. If he's remembering that moment when he's like, guys, don't make the same mistake I made. My Savior was moments away from the most intense suffering, and I couldn't even take prayer seriously. I couldn't. I just, and so he says, listen, you want to stay faithful to Jesus in the moment of suffering? You take prayer seriously. You pray, and you pray that God, through the power of His Spirit, would give you the strength to endure, and then you pray for those who are suffering as well because they follow Jesus. Anybody know the name Andrew Brunson? Know the name Andrew Brunson? Paul? Right? He was uh, an American missionary pastor in, in Turkey and um, falsely accused of being a spy, and they put him in prison. Lived there 20-some years. All he's done while he's there is just love people, tell them about Jesus, love the community. Gets falsely accused, thrown in prison for two years. Gets released. It wasn't too long ago that he was released, actually, like a year or so ago, I think. A couple years, maybe. And in interviewing him, they asked him, well, what kept you going? He said, you know what my lifeline was? It was knowing people were praying for me. Just knowing that I was experiencing this suffering, but there were people who were praying for me. That's what kept me going. And Peter says, listen, in the midst of suffering, you take prayer seriously. And like a life jacket, we don't wait until the suffering comes. We start praying now for one another that we can continue through the power of the Spirit to be strong in suffering. But we need to start praying for brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. We need to take prayer seriously. What would it look like for you to do that? Verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Literally, that word earnestly means like a bungee, like you stretch out your love. Just keep stretching it out. Just keep loving each other. Isn't it hard to love sometimes when you're suffering? It's hard to love other people. What do you want to do typically? You just want to stay at home, and you don't want to love anyone. Right? You just want to kind of hold yourself in. We're going to get through this. I don't need anybody. You know, whatever. And Peter says, wait a second. In the moment of suffering, when you're in the midst of it, you need to just stretch out your love and you need to love other people. 
Because love covers a multitude of sins. You need to keep stretching out that love. And it has this intentionality to it. Like, you just keep loving those who've wounded you. And you just keep loving. It doesn't take away what they've done, but somehow when you're loving them and having a passion toward them, it covers over that pain. It doesn't take it away. It says it covers it. Covers that multitude of sins when you stretch out your love. Think of Jesus' example on the cross. In the middle of the suffering, what's one of the things he says? He looks at his disciple John and he says, John, take care of my mom. And he calls Mary, your mom, to John. Like now she's yours. He's thinking of his own earthly mom on the cross while he's got nails in his hands, blood coming down on his face. And he's like, hey, take care of her, stretching out his love for us, but even for those near him physically at the cross. Even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive those who are insulting me, for they don't know what, what they're doing. Jesus stretching out his love. In the moment of suffering, what do you do? You keep stretching out your love for one another. Who is it that God is saying to you right now that you need to stretch out your love toward? You don't wait till suffering to do it. You put it on now and start living in that. And then he goes in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Literally pursue opening your home. Pursue opening your home. In those moments when it's hard and you're suffering, just open your home for people. Have people in your home. Oh, that's so hard, isn't it, in that moment? Again, you just want to be alone. And you see this community aspect that Peter's bringing. You need to love other people. You need to pray for other people. You need to be with other people. You need to pursue hospitality. Open up your home. Now, the persecution that a lot of the Christians were experiencing when Peter writes this is they were being physically forced out of their homes and out of their towns. So they would have to travel to other towns. They'd find Christians who lived in those other towns, and they'd knock on their door, and they'd be like, you guys can stay here. You can stay with us. We've got, you know, we'll put the kids on the floor, we'll pull out the sleeping bags, you can eat at our table, whatever you need. Because they didn't have, like, hotels and Airbnbs. I mean, they just depended upon the community of Christ to take care of them. So pursue hospitality. And, and, and Paul says this. He says, practice hospitality. I've heard people say, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality. There is no spiritual gift of hospitality. Stop using that as an excuse. There is no spiritual gift of hospitality. This is a command to all believers. Peter says it, and Paul says it to everyone. Everyone is to... Now, for some of us, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier for Andre to have people in our home than me. It just is. I stress out. I freak out. I'm praying there's a cancellation, whatever. Like, it's just hard. i just not natural for... I'm more introverted naturally, so it's just harder for me. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. I need to have people in my home. For me as well as for the people that are coming into my home. So don't, you can't use, well, I don't have the spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. Stop using that. You need to do this. Think about, think about our heavenly home. The gospel is about God making a way to invite you into his home. Gospel is God making a way to invite you into his home. So hospitality is actually a reflection 
of a spiritual reality. When we are hospitable with people, when we are practicing hospitality, we are actually showing them a spiritual reality that God does for us. God invites us into his home. Listen, your home, God, God does not see heaven as a refuge from people, but for people. Your home is to be a refuge for people, not from them. And there's balance there. I get that, you know. But listen, ultimately, your home is not to be this shut the door, us and no more. No, come. Because when you do that, you're reflecting the gospel. And, and let me just say this about Living Church. You guys are so incredibly hospitable. Incredible. Almost everyone here, if not everyone here, has had people in their home. And he said, don't grumble about it, Mark. Just throw that in there, right? Stop complaining about it. Just no, because he knows it's going to be hard. Just pursue hospitality. So what do you do? You don't wait till suffering to do that. And this goes against everything you're going to feel when you're suffering. When you're suffering, you're going to be like, I don't want to be around people. That's when you have to say, no, I need to be around people. And I need to have people in my home. Last one. He goes on and he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace and order that in everything, verse 11, God may be glorified. Listen, how do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? Just keep serving Jesus' people. Just keep serving the church. Whatever your gift is, just use it to serve. Use it to serve each other. Again, there's this focus on being with God's people when you're suffering. You're not to isolate yourself. You're to, that's not a time to stay away from God's people when you're suffering. It's a time to gather with God's people. Because when you're hospitable, now you can use your spiritual gifts that God's given you in your home. And then when the church gathers, whether it's speaking, whether it's just serving and helping men, just do it in the strength that God's given you. And when you do that, you are putting Jesus on display, Peter says. And so how are you serving Jesus' people. How are you doing that? Peter gives us in these first 11 verses of chapter 4 more practical things that we can do in the midst of suffering for Jesus. So I want you to think for a moment. Put on that life jacket, right? Put it on. What's one of the things that Peter's brought out for us today that the Spirit is nudging you about? And I love how Peter ends this section, almost like with this doxology. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's Peter doing? He's like, oh, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He is worth experiencing suffering for if it means that because of who he is and what he's done for us in bringing those who are unri unrighteous and making them righteous, bringing them to God. And so what's the Spirit nudging you about? As a band comes, I just want you to think about that. Just right where you are, just kind of bow your head, close your eyes, and just ask the Lord, just bring to the surface of your heart and mind right now of these things, God. Show me, what are you saying to me this morning? What do you want me to put on? in preparation for what you might have for me down the road. Just pause right now and ask him.
God, we sang at the beginning, just, I want to be tried by fire. God, I thank you for your word, your truth, through this little letter from Peter that prepares us for that fire, that prepares us to continue to stay faithful to you if the fire you bring us is suffering because we follow you. And we know, God, that you are faithful and you'll be faithful to us when we are in the fire. We know that. You've proven that to us. You say it. You tell us. And so, God, I pray that right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just continue to nudge our hearts? And may we see these things as not just more things to tack onto the things that we need to do as a Christian, but may these things flow out of us because we love you, because you first loved us, because you stretched out your love for us to bring us into your home when we are undeserving. Let's stand, church, and declare some truth and song.